Church leaders and religious researchers, Christian podcasters are all scrambling trying to figure out why this shocking stat has now hit Christendom. They are saying today that only today, Christians today are only attending on average 1.5 services a month. People are coming to church really about 25% of the month. And men and leaders have tried to fix it with their own ingenuity. We have churches trying to make services less than an hour to meet busy schedules. I can promise you, you will not be out in an hour at Times Square Church. I can promise you that. They'll provide food and coffee so you don't have to do breakfast. You can do breakfast at church, bigger productions, so people will come and the entertainment will keep them there. But it's interesting, not one researcher said we need the Holy Ghost. Not one person said we need to invite the Holy Spirit back. I read someone's article just yesterday about 10 reasons why church attendance is declining. It was culture, it was our children, it was online, and not one of the 10 reasons said God is no longer the main attraction. Nobody said that. Of all the researchers that are the experts, no one came up with the elephant in the room that says we need the Holy Spirit again. Can I just remind you, you cannot be in the presence of God and be bored at the same time. If God is in the house, I'm telling you, there's no other person. Folks, you don't need me. You don't need a bed. You don't need a choir. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, shut the doors, put down the curtain, because church has to be. We need the presence of the Holy Spirit. When God comes, I'm telling you, people will come. When God comes, people will show up. Duncan Campbell, great revivalist of the 50s, said the kingdom of God is not going to be advanced by our churches becoming filled with men, but by men in our churches becoming filled with God. That's why these words literally just challenged me as a leader. The great Christian writer on prayer, E.M. Bounds, said what the church needs today is not more machinery, or uh, not more machinery or better machinery, not new organizations or novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Ghost can use. Men and women of prayer, people mighty in prayer. While leaders are trying to figure out what we need to do, we need some special heaven-sent leaders to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to come once again. Why wouldn't we invite the Holy Spirit? On October 10th, 2021, was a very special time for Cindy and I because it was here on this pulpit, Pastor Carter Conlin, our general overseer, preached, and Dr. R.T. Kendall, two men that are very special in my life, did an installation service here. And two, it was a phrase that Dr. R.T. Kendall spoke to Cindy and I on that day, and it was this. He said, honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. Honor the blood and honor the Holy Ghost. And folks, we have to honor the Holy Ghost. Now, now strap in for just a moment. Do you know why God, why the church needs the Holy Spirit? Do you know why we can't operate without the Holy Spirit today, and that where we fall into the trap we fall into when we don't make him the guest of honor in our place. I read this, folks. I, I looked up every verse. I wrote this down, um, and I found in the scripture, and I, I reread it this morning, lifted my hands, and thanked the Holy Spirit 
for doing this. I, I started to read in the scriptures, just in the New Testament, 31 things the Holy Spirit does. 31 things. Okay, I, I, know, I know you're not supposed to do this, but I'm going to read all 31 to you. So here we go. So you better get your phones ready and just keep snapping pictures. So here we go. Get, I'll give you three seconds to get your phone ready. 31 things. Number one, he teaches us. He speaks. He reveals. He instructs. He testifies of Jesus. He comforts us. He fills us. He calls us. He strengthens us. He prays for us. He bears witness to the truth. He brings joy. He brings freedom. He helps us obey. He transforms us. He lives inside of us. He frees us. He renews us. He produces fruit in us. He gives us gifts. He leads us, convicts us, sanctifies us, empowers us, unites us, seals us, gives access to the Father, enables us to wait, and he is part of casting out devilish and demon spirits. We need the Holy Ghost. What? Folks, so how can we improve with the props of man what the Holy Spirit can do? I'm not against being current in technology, but we're not dependent. You're not dependent on that, on this, on anything. We enjoy being current, but we're not dependent. They can shut down the, the grid, the power grid in America. They can shut down technology, but you can't shut down the power of the Holy Ghost. That's why we need him today. Paul ends, Paul ends the Corinthian letter with a doxology that I was trying to guess, and I would have guessed wrong what comes next. So here comes your test today. I want to see if you're just as wrong as I am before I put it on the screen. I want to feel that I'm in good company. Paul ends with a doxology. The last verse as he's finishing up this incredible first and second Corinthians, and he ends with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and associates a word with each one. So the word he associates with Jesus, before I put the verse on the screen, is he says, may the grace of Jesus be with you. Then he says, may the love of God be with you. Now here's my question. The Holy Spirit's name is about to come next. And I was trying to think, what would I have normally guessed? I knew this verse, but why would I've got, I would have gone here? I would have said grace of Jesus, yes. I would have said love of God, yes. And I probably, from my Church roots would have said, and the power of the Holy Spirit. How many would have said power of the Holy Spirit? Okay. How many honest people would have said power of the Holy Spirit? Okay. Because that's what I would have just said. Grace of Jesus, love of God, power of the... Look at this. Paul says, the grace of the Lord Jesus, here it comes, love of the God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Paul connects fellowship not with what we do with each other, but with the Holy Spirit and says there is a partnership that needs to happen, a walking together, a koinonia, the Greek word, that he was challenging us to get back in step with the Holy Spirit. That's what he was challenging the church of Corinth to do, get back in step and in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. It is Spurgeon went on after those in such heavy words and said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We're ships without a wind, branches without sap, coals without fire. We become useless. We need the Holy Spirit to work. See, Jesus gave 
500 people directions after his resurrection that would guide and bring to the birth of the church of Jesus Christ in Acts 2. Listen to what he said. 1 Corinthians, this is, the, this is the number that he met with. 1 Corinthians 15, it says he was buried, raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said, seen by Peter the 12, and after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. Listen to the charge that Jesus gives. Luke 24, 49. He says, now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised. But stay here in this city, Jerusalem, until the Holy Spirit comes and you will be filled with power from heaven. Think of that. So 500 people get the memo from the resurrected Jesus. 500 people were going to experience those 31 things that I just read out to you one by one and gave the scripture sightings. Now, some 40 days later, after the resurrection, Jesus ascends to heaven. The doors are open. The upper room welcomes in all these people. I'm wondering if, just my imagination, if 500 chairs are set up on that day. Going, he talked. You heard words from the resurrected Jesus. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait for the power to come down. And I can see them set it up because they heard from Jesus. Set up 500 chairs. Then all of a sudden, the Bible says in Acts 1.12, then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room. Here it comes, folks. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And at that time, Peter stood up in the midst and gathering together were only 120 people. I have this sense that this was an invitation to the upper room was open to everyone that Jesus appeared to after his resurrection. I truly believe that he was inviting people to walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit. And I just kept asking this question to myself as I was reading about the upper room. Where are the other 380 people who saw the resurrected Jesus? Where are they? Where are the people that heard the word of Jesus, but wouldn't show up to pray, wouldn't show up to the upper room. In a sense, 76% missed it. 76% moved on. Three quarters of the people that heard the resurrected Jesus looked at Jesus and said, Jesus, great teaching. We've got it from here. Why was Jesus saying, wait for power? I don't think those 380 were, were non-believers. But I do think that the 120 were filled and walked in a fellowship and a closeness with God that nobody's ever experienced before. And even another question, because this is an important question. How come the eyewitnesses of Jesus, those three years of the resurrected Jesus, could not be witnesses for Jesus? What do you mean, Pastor Tim? Listen to what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the remotest part of the earth. Folks, think of it for a moment. If anyone should have had qualifications to go around the world, it should have been the eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. But they were not qualified according to Jesus just yet. You would think that after they spoke to the resurrected Jesus, saw the resurrected Jesus, they were good to go to start a church 
They went to boot camp. They went to Bible college. We did all this stuff, and now we're ready to do this. They were told to wait for the Holy Spirit before they would do anything. They saw Jesus as a corpse. They saw Jesus walking through walls. They saw Jesus ascend to heaven. And if there was anything that should have qualified you to get a church website, a church Instagram account, and rent a building, get a big Bible, some business cards, it should have been those 500 people that heard the resurrected Jesus talk. And he said to them, wait, don't start anything. Don't start a church. Don't start preaching. Don't start anything until you invite the power of the Holy Spirit to change you. Folks, think about that for a moment. He says, you've seen it all, but you haven't received the Holy Spirit. 500 got a message. 120 would be empowered. And I kept asking, which group would I be in? Which group would I would have showed up in? 500 had a promise, but only 120 cashed in. 500 had an inheritance, but only 120 claimed it. I was talking with an individual this week. That we were, as we were finishing our meeting, it, this wasn't part of the meeting, but he just threw this out. He said, we, we didn't even know this. They said, we had a distant relative die, and we were left this inheritance. And these were his words. He just said, it's going to change our life. We didn't even know this was going to happen. He said, we're, and in fact, he says, it's going to hit our account in the next few days, and everything is going to be changed. He said, their death and our inheritance will change everything for us. And all I thought about was this. Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension gave us an inheritance. Gave us an inheritance. He says, since I have resurrected, I am going to give you something, an inheritance, just like that individual said to me, that will change everything. But for some of you, it hasn't hit the account yet. And today, it's going to hit the account. Today, God wants to do something. I want you to get all that God has for you. Just before we moved from Detroit, Detroit was on the map of Hollywood because they were offering these giant tax breaks if, you shot, if Hollywood shot a movie there. So all these movies were being shot there in Detroit. And little did I know that one day, I, of this, our house right in our neighborhood, right next to it. And it was, it was a, we lived in a tough neighborhood. They were, all these movie trucks moved in and were setting up the set in our neighbor's house. And I'm going, wow, they're going to shoot a movie right next to us. Now, it wasn't this Oscar-worthy movie. It was a sequel to a horrible movie before it. <laughs> the name of the movie they were shooting was called SWAT 2. Don't even ask. But my house was going to be in one of the scenes. So they knocked on our door. The, one of the managers of, of the film company came and they said, we're going to have to put your house in there and our actors are going are to be standing in front of your house because um, uh, the name of the scene is the wrong house. The cops surround my neighbor's house, but it's the wrong house, and the neighbors are going to come out pretending they're from our house. So they're not using our house. They were just going to use the, the picture of our house in the movie. And so I said, so they just said, um, we'd like to pay you 
for using your house. So I said, well, how much do you guys? I just thought it may be a, a new blessing from the Lord at this time. So they said, they said, how about $50? I said, done. I said, give me $50. They, they got that check so fast. It said SWAT 2 on it. It said $50. I kept that check like, man, this could be a new thing for me, just renting out my house for stuff. That night, they were shooting the movie like at midnight, and I came out of my house. They said, come, come watch. Your house is in it, so come on. So I'm talking to one of the assistant directors. I said, hey, I said, you set up my neighbor's house way before you asked me. I said, what if I would have said no and said, no, you can't use my house? He said, well, we would have offered you more money. I said, well, how much? They go, oh, we go up usually about five, six, seven thousand. They said, you were the easiest person that we've ever negotiated with. He said, you said yes so fast. We got the checkbook out and just said, I would have pulled it out of my pocket and given you the $50. They said, no one has ever gone that cheap before. And all I thought to myself was, listen, I'm telling you here, some of you are sitting in this place and watching online. You made the greatest decision of your life some time ago. You said, I want to be born again. But I'm here to tell you, don't stop there. Don't stop with this going, I did that, and you don't cash in all that God has for you. Don't just sit there and walk out with some prayer going, I said it born again, now I'm walking out. I'm telling you, now step into the fullness of the Holy Spirit and let him change your life cash in. Don't just leave some $50 church service and walk out and do your thing. Say, God, I want everything you have. I'm cashing it all in. I want all that God has for my life. Tozer, the great Christian writer, said if the Holy Spirit was drawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. God help us. May that never happen to us. I want you to be part. I want to be part of the 120. I want, if God is calling us to an experience, if God is calling us to an upper room, if he's calling us to a fellowship, a fellowship that has been forsaken, a fellowship with the, we want power, we want everything, but a fellowship to walk in step with him. I want that. The first church at Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 faced a problem that we're experiencing today. It's so, it's so clear to me. People, and here's the part I think is so important that we have got to be praying for. People have experienced church today, but not the Holy Spirit. They've experienced Sunday, but not a heaven's gift. They have a 380 church service, but have not experienced the 120 power that God wants to do. Paul is talking to some church people who experienced great preaching in Acts 18. Listen to who their pastor was and what he did. In Acts 18, verse 24, this is the church of Ephesus. It says, now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, instructed in the way of the Lord, fervent in spirit, was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. That's Acts 18. And then all of a sudden, in Acts 19, Paul shows up at that city and speaks to some of the church members. I have to believe that maybe these are some of the 76%, maybe some of the 380. Listen to what happens in verse 1. 
It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, their pastor is gone, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you, did you receive, he's asking to cash in the $50 check. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe? Look at this. They said, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Folks, go back if you would. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 19. Look who he's talking to. And he found some, what does it say there? Disciples. He's not speaking to these newcomers. He's speaking to disciples and says, did you receive the Holy Spirit after you believed? They said, we haven't even heard it. Haven't heard? Think about this church. What, what, a, what, what, what a problem that you can have a pastor that's fervent, accurate, teaching the scripture and miss the Holy Spirit. He did the church of Ephesus a disservice by keeping the disciples in the dark about the Holy Spirit. And that's why we have to honor the blood. We have to honor the Holy Ghost. It is so important to us that we understand that. I, I, I don't want to take a deep dive into this because I want to begin to show you how important it is that we understand the work of the Holy Spirit. I, when, when you're studying, let me just do this real quick. I'm just going to give you one thing. When you are studying a huge topic like, like the Holy Spirit or anything in the Bible, I want to just help you for those, whether you're new in the Lord or whether you've been walking with the Lord, there is this one study method that has served me well, and it's called the law of first use or, or the law of first mention. What that means is that the best way to start a Bible study topic is to see the first time the scripture uses that word or topic. See the first time it is mentioned in scripture. So if you're going to study and, and, and try, to, try to take a journey on studying the Holy Spirit, sometimes the best way to start is to go, where is the first place that it's mentioned or he is mentioned, or they are mentioned, or whatever the topic may be. And the first time, here it comes, folks. The first time the Holy Spirit is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 1 at creation. The Bible doesn't even give you, get through creation and says, we've got to talk about the Holy Ghost. We've got to talk about the Holy Spirit. Think about this. This is, this is what I read in Genesis 1. I want to read it to you. Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Here it comes now. Law of first use. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the what? Spirit of God was what? Moving over the surface of the water. Folks, I have to tell you, the first time... The Spirit of God is mentioned in the Bible. He's not stagnant. He's not stuck. He's moving. Don't, oh Jesus. Don't, listen balcony, don't tell me, don't tell me the Spirit of God li lives inside of you, but you're not moving. Don't, don't, don't look, you can't move to an altar, you can't move your hands, you can't move your mouth, you can't move your feet, you can't move, all of a sudden you're going like, hey, I'm a Christian. Ooh, 
not with the law first use Holy Spirit, Christian, because it says that spirit that we first are introduced to, he's moving. He's moving in dark places. He's moving in places that no one else. That folks, I'm telling you, if you're sitting in here, oh, I'm looking at some of you Christians that don't like this because some of you are going, saying, I'm not going to, I'm not moving these hands. I'm telling you, I'll move the hands. I'll move the feet. I'll move my mouth. I'll move my legs. I'll move something because when the spirit of God is inside of you, something's got to move. You can't just sit there when God's Holy Spirit is moving. Hallelujah. Hey, if you're watching, listen, if you're watching from the Philippines or Sri Lanka, move around a little bit. I think that what is ahead cannot be fought and faced without the Holy Spirit. We need him, as a, not only as a church, we need him when we leave the church. That's why he lives in us. He doesn't live in this building. He lives in us. That's why when the Bible says, let me go back to that Acts 1-8, when Jesus says, listen, you're not ready yet to go preach, he, said, he says this, but... He says in Acts 1.8, I want you to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Listen, listen to what he says, because this is important. He says to them, I'm going to throw this in there. There's no notes, so those who are trying to look for production, there's nothing like this. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And this is what he says, and you shall be my witnesses. He didn't say do witnessing but be a witness because doing witnessing means you got to set it up on Saturday at 11 o'clock and just show up and you go out with it. But if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you folks, you don't need a scheduled time to be a witness. That means I can be a witness on the F train. I can be a witness in Connecticut. I can be a witness on Staten Island in Italy, the Czech Republic, in the Netherlands. I can be a witness in Japan, China, Russia, Sri Lanka, because if he lives in me, that means I don't do something. I become something by the power of the Holy Spirit. So what is ahead cannot be fought or faced without the Holy Spirit. 2 Timothy 1.14 says this, through the power of the Holy Spirit, who what? Lives within us. Carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. Look at this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, who lives within us, let's carefully guard the precious truth that has been trusted, entrusted to us. I want to just finish today by giving, and they'll be quick. I want to give you four precious truths about the Holy Spirit to prepare us for what we're going to face and the fight that's ahead of us. But we can't face or fight unless we begin to cry out for that forsaken fellowship that the church has lost, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. We know the grace of God. We know the love of God. But we need the fellowship of the Holy Spirit again. 
We need the fellowship. We need the koinonia. We know how to do fellowship with each other. We know how to create all the fellowship and all the common denominators to bring people together. But folks, we're missing something by not having fellowship with the Holy Spirit. So let me do this as, as clear as I can. These four truths that I want us to protect today. Number one, the Holy Spirit. He is my seal. I'm going to explain that and give you the scripture. Ephesians 1.13 in him, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, here it comes, you were what? Sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. He says, the moment you believed, a seal was stamped on your heart, which is the Holy Spirit. See, a seal was an emblem uh, at that time it was noted as an emblem or a logo that expressed ownership, that this was the, where the origins is. So when you look at, a, at something on a stage and see something, it's, it's sealed. It expresses who made it, the manufacturer, who it belongs to. It comes from our, from, from our, manu, from, from our factories. This is who it is. He is saying that when you see the Holy Spirit, God goes, that's my manufacturing. I changed them. I did that. I'm, I'm the. Here's what's crazy. You know who manufactured the item because the seal is on it. Let me show you a seal that you may have missed because we jump right to the ending of a story. I don't know if you knew that there was a seal on the most famous grave. Look at Matthew 27. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a what? seal on the stone. You know what that seal was? It was the seal of Rome. Rome, those Roman guards that guarded the tomb of Jesus so no one would be able to fabricate some lie that says they stole his body. They put a seal on it that said, we're in charge now. The most powerful place on the planet. You can't touch the body of Jesus or you will invoke the wrath of Rome. And what, but what happens is, is Rome forgot that it may think it's powerful down here, but there is another power that comes. And watch, that's the end of chapter 27. Only God has this sense of humor about the seal of Rome. Look at this. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Well, look at this, folks. And behold, a severe earthquake occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled away the stone, and what? I believe he sat right on that seal and simply said, I'm going to let you know who's in charge. Rome's not in charge. The guards are not in charge. Heaven is in charge of this grave. And he is not here. He is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. It was the old English writer F.E. Marsh's book, Emblems of the Holy Spirit, that I read some years ago that reminded me of the importance of the seal. Let me just give this to you very quickly. In Bible times, it was a seal was the way a person identified what he owned. They would stamp their seal on it. And F.E. Marsh said, for example, a businessman would purchase large amounts of timber and lumber, he says, in Lebanon. And then when he purchased it, he couldn't take what he purchased with him, but what he did was he would put his seal upon it, and he said then it would be sent by ship to the final destination. But if he couldn't take it with him, the family steal, it was, I, so some of you are going to get this, but so 
he purchased the lumber, he would say, I can't take it with it now, but I purchased it. I own this. You can't, I can't take it now, but I'm going to put my seal upon this because one day I'm going to get that lumber and it's going to come flow. Okay, this section is, is getting it here. So they would put the logs on a ship in the Mediterranean and then when they would port, they would know the seal of ownership that was upon them. Good news, church. The, the Christian is sealed with the Holy Spirit. Our owner says, I purchased them. I died for them. But I can't take them right now because I'm going to prepare a place for them. So I've got to seal them. And as I seal them, I, I haven't forgotten about them, but there's coming a day I'm going to get what belongs to me. I'm going to bring it home because they belong to me. If you are saved, then you are sealed. Hallelujah. Number two. I don't know why I'm yelling that, but number two. He is my pledge. Stay in Ephesians. Right after he says, you have a seal. He continues on and says, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Here it comes. Who, the Holy Spirit, is given as a what? Pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Pledge. It's a, it's a down payment. Let me, let me age myself here. When I grew up, we couldn't get in debt because we couldn't get a credit card. So we, but we, we used to do something else, some us old school people. Because what you, what you next gen do, you just slap down a credit card and build up your, build up your debt. We did something else. It was called layaway. How many remember layaway? How many did layaway? You saw something, you're going, I can't afford that. But I'm going to put $20 down. And I'm coming back every two weeks with my paycheck, and I'm putting another $20 down. What you don't realize is by the time you pay it off, it's out of style. By that time, you're going, you're going like, I got my eight ball jacket, and this thing is going to be awesome. And by the time you get it, they've moved on. They've moved on. And so by the time you get enough of money to pay for it. But here's the thing. When you put down that 20, no one could touch it. It would be waiting for you. So every time you showed up, you didn't have to go home worried about it because what you used to do is when you couldn't afford something, and if you didn't have $20, you used to take that piece of clothing and put it in another section behind some... We're telling the truth here. We're going to tell the truth. This is church. We're going to tell the truth. You took it and put... Come on. How many did that? You're in church. How many did Same people who did layaway. When you didn't have the money, you put it in another section so no one would find it. And every time you come back, you kind of look in that section to see if it was still there. But if you put on layaway, no one could touch it at that point. It was already promised to you. Here's what's crazy. Vine's dictionary, Vine's dictionary of the Greek says that this word pledge 
is even deeper. This is what it says. It says that word pledge actually means to the Greek, you ready for this? An engagement ring. That's what it means. He says that you have an engagement ring. Let, let me say it like this. When, when I knew that Cindy was the one that I, I, I wanted to marry and live, live the rest of my life with and, and share life with and, and we celebrate here and um, 27 years coming up, it has been the greatest joy of my life. Yep, <laughs> greatest joy of my life is with her. I wanted to propose to her in New York City. So I had a plan, folks. I, I, I had her, she had no idea because I, I made a commitment to the Lord. I said, I won't. I said, the person I'm going to marry, I'm not going to kiss them. I'm not going to tell them I love them until I put a ring on their finger. So I had, I had a ring in my pocket. I took her, I'll just tell you, so some of you single guys, you got to step it up here if you want to get this right. I took her, she had no idea. I took her to a tavern on the green. Then I got a horse and carriage ride. And as we got to Rockefeller Center, it was, it was going around the city. They, they don't do that anymore, but they had all, where all the flags were, I told the guy, this New York guy said, stop. I got out on one knee. I opened that box up and I said, Cindy, I love you. Right over here, right over here, right, right, right in Rockefeller Center. And I got down and <laughs> she's crying. I'm crying. And the, and the guy on the horse and carriage, <laughs> he's staring. And this, I'm telling you, Cindy will verify this. He looks and all of a sudden he goes, this is beautiful. Exactly what he said. Because this is beautiful. But when I put that ring, that pledge on her finger, what it was saying to her was this You are taken, and we've got a future date and future lives together. It, what, what that, it wasn't about the ring. The ring on her finger was saying, this is not all there is. The goal is not to get a ring on your finger. The goal is to go, you're taken. That when someone comes your way, you're able to go, mm-mm. <laughs> I, I know what it's like. I know what it's like when you're single in church, and you're waiting for people to raise their hand. You're going, come on, raise the left hand. Let me just see if there's a... When the Holy Ghost is present, everybody gets found out. I'm just telling you right now. Because what happened was, when all of a sudden you've got a ring on your finger, it means I am taken and there's a future date coming. It means I've been pledged. It means I don't, I'm not interested in you. You don't need to talk to me. You don't need to ask me out. I'm already pledged and promised. That means when I am saved, the Holy Spirit is in me. What he is saying to me is this. This is not all that there is. He says there is a place being prepared. A marriage that you are going to. And a marriage supper. And what he was telling us is this. 
when you get pledged, the Holy Spirit pledges, don't get comfortable with the ring because there is a date set called the rapture of the church that he is going to bring his bride home and says that date is set. The Holy Spirit in me reminds me, don't get comfortable down here because the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Number three, he's my comforter. He's my comforter. And I will pray that the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. I, I don't, I'm not a fan of that word comforter. That's why I like other translations. The word comforter makes me think of my mom. Get your feet off the comforter. Don't sleep on the comforter. That's not the word he's using here. The word helper or parakaleo is a word which means proximity, to walk alongside. But what's amazing here is I discovered that this wasn't just a walking word for fellowship. It was also a, a word that goes a little bit further than fellowship. It were fighting words. It was a word, it was a military word that was used. In Gordon Dalby's book, he said that that word comforter or paraclete, in his book he says when Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit that way, he says one of the uses of that Greek word was an ancient warrior's term. He says when Greek soldiers went into battle, they went as pairs. So when an enemy attacked, he says they would use a system of fighting, of fighting back to back. Because what you can't see coming behind you, you could begin, if this was a soldier with me, you then could begin to fight what's there, but you had a fellow soldier fighting so the things you can't even see. He says, when you walk in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, he's fighting stuff for you that you don't even know about. So when he becomes your comforter, listen, folks, I've got enough problems with the stuff I see. How many would say amen to that? I've got enough. I, I can't even think of the stuff that's being the weapons that are being formed against me behind me. But I listen, I don't have to know what's being formed against me. I just need to know I'm going back to back with the Holy Spirit. I've got a comforter that fights the things that I don't even know what's happening. What's even coming against me? That's what the Holy Spirit does. I've, it's a story that, that it took me some years to, to share, but it's, it was the fight that happened with us and our family that I didn't even know about. Just before we left Detroit, I had a young man sitting in my office who was, that, we, that, that served well in the church, and then something happened, an area of sin that I had to remove him and he became so embittered with me as I removed him from a place of position and said, you can't, you, this is your church, but you're, you're, you, you can't continue to serve here until God, until the, the God does a work inside of you because of the, the, what was going on. He became so embittered with me that he left. And when I was leaving, this young man showed up in my office. I haven't seen him for years. And he came in and he put on my desk a braided um, tassel. He goes, I want to give this to you just to, for you to always remember that God is fighting for you with things you don't even know. And it was his tassel that he got from graduation from the Army Rangers. He was special forces. 
And he says, I want you to have that. I still have it to this day. I have it in a box of what this young man gave me. He says, but I have to tell you a story. He said, I was so angry with you. And folks, thinking about all that has happened in our nation and continually happens, this, this horrific shooting that took place in Texas with a family of five that were just murdered execution style. It, it didn't dawn on me until maybe years later how real this is and how much we need the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And he looked at me and he just said this. He said, I have to tell you, Pastor Tim, what happened after you removed me from ministry? I became so angry with you. He said, I went home and he said, and I put on all of my army fatigues. I took out all of my weapons, all of my assault rifles that I use in the army. He says, and I was packing it all up. I was coming to your house to kill you and your family. Folks, I'm just telling you, this is what he's saying to me, but I'm going like now, but you're right with God now, right? You're, I mean, like you're living for God. Now he goes, yeah, that's why I'm telling you this. I'm going, okay. Because my, my hand was like on the, on the phone, like 9-1-1. And so I was, and I'm listening to him, and he goes, he goes, I was dressed in my army assault stuff, took my, my army fatigues, got my assault rifles, and I was on your way to your house. I knew where you lived. And he said, I'm telling you. Now, folks, you have to remember this. I'm fighting things in the church. I'm like, I don't know what's happening over there. But I've got a comforter. I've got a comforter who's going like, don't worry about this. I got this for you. So while, he's, while, while I'm just trying to learn how to pastor a church, raise four kids, and, and, and trying to be the best husband and pastor that I can, that's a fight enough. Four kids? Four kids? <laughs> My kids are over here going like... <laughs> All of a sudden, he said, I have to tell you what happened. He said, I loaded everything in the car. He said, I sat in the car, and he said, I heard an audible voice. He said, I'm telling you, it was an audible voice. And the voice said, if you put this car in reverse, I will kill you. He said, it was the voice. I, I, I go, God said that? <laughs> like, I'm going, he, he said, I heard, put it in reverse, leave the driveway, I will kill you. He said, Pastor Tim, it was so real, I, I started weeping and repenting. He said, because, and this is what he told me, he says, I knew you were a protected man. He said, and all of a sudden I'm going like, well, you know, I'm just... <laughs> All I thought was, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are fighting battles that I don't even. Let's, let me just tell you something, folks. I've, I've been sealed, I've been pledged, and I've got a comforter that works on my behalf. Let's close here as the band comes. One more, and then we close. Here it is. Number four, he is my helper. Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Hallelujah. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Folks, what a blessing. 
This is incredible. The greatest Christian on the planet said he doesn't know how to pray. And folks, let me just help you today. Let me just speak to those that have been born again for 20, 30, 40 years. If, if the apostle Paul doesn't know how to pray, we don't know how to pray either. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. I need his seal. I need the pledge. I need the comforter. And can I just tell you today, those that are watching around the world, I need his help when I pray. Our first prayer meeting that we ever started when we planted a church in that triple X movie theater, I remember our first prayer meeting. We had five people, two, two prayer warrior ladies, um, one guy who, who never prayed. He just read the Bible. He'd show up and he would read the Bible. It would be me. And then once a week, a demoniac would show up. It would just be two prayer ladies, Bible reading, me, demoniac, prayer meeting, would happen all the time. That was the prayer meeting. It was horrible. We'd never go to this prayer meeting. And then one night, these ladies, the prayer warrior ladies, brought in a man that was beat up in the streets that had three ribs broken. And she goes, they both go, they go, let's pray for healing. I'm going like, have you seen this prayer meeting? I said, we got a demoniac. He won't pray. He'll just read the Bible. It's just me and you two. I mean, that's, that's all we got. She goes, let's pray. Let's pray. He's been beat up on the street. The man just got out of the hospital, three broken ribs, and asking for us to pray for healing upon him. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm going, I, I'm not good at this. I, 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 don't, I don't know what to pray. I, I'm just trying to survive here. I'm just trying to... And, and, and it never dawned on me, Romans 8, 26, I never had the capacity to say, I don't know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit will help me. And I remember looking at this man and just, just praying something like, if it's God's will, he'll heal you. And you just, it's the blame it on God thing. You just go, if it's not your will, then this is, and, and folks, I'm telling you, I've been in the ministry for over 40 years, and I'm thinking, wow, now Paul tells me the bad news. I don't know how to pray. But the good news is this. God goes, just pray, and God knows how to take your feeble words and begin to make them bigger than you would ever know. Pastor Tim, how do you know that? Here it comes. Here it comes. Paul goes on to explain it, how, we, how it happens. Ephesians 3.20, now to him who is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we want, ask or think according to the power that works within us. Hallelujah. Paul was saying this, just say something, say anything, the Holy Spirit can get it right for you. All you got to do, you can't pray anyway. It's the Holy Spirit that does it. Folks, I'm telling you, you can be here today and say, be, be born again for 10 minutes and still know how to pray to God because you don't know how to pray, but it's the Holy Spirit, your pledge, your seal, your comfort that says, I got you on this one. So I prayed that beat up prayer. God, if it's your will, then just do something. And that was it. I was going, okay, let's go back to our prayer. Meeting. All of a sudden, the man goes like this. He goes, I'm healed. I said, no, you're not. I said, you can't be healed. That wasn't even a good prayer. How can you be healed? He goes, no. And he starts ripping off his bandages, going, punch me, I'm healed. 
And all I thought was, man, I'm, I'm going to end up on Judge Judy. If I punch this guy, there's no way. And all I thought about at that moment was, God, you took that those little feeble words, and you did above and beyond anything I could ask or think because, God, you helped me. You helped me. You helped me. God, God knows how to do that. That's why I've always lived by these words from Thomas Keating who says this, the only way to fail in prayer is to not show up. Just pray. Just say anything. He's the one who's praying through you. He's praying for us. And if it's not right, he's the, he's Grammarly. He's the editor that says, I'll fix those words so you can get it right because we can't get it right every single time. What about when Elijah was going to God, kill me. I'm the last prophet. Kill me. I could see the Holy Spirit go, no, 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 no. He doesn't mean kill. He doesn't mean kill. He's just frustrated right now because he's running from this lady named Jezebel. So what he means is, and you know what God does? God bakes him a cake and gives him some rest. I could see the Holy Spirit goes, he didn't mean kill, he meant cake. So go ahead and give him some cake at this point. That's exactly what he meant here. Folks, I'm telling you, it's as if he comes in like an editor and says, you didn't, he didn't mean that. That's why we need the Holy Spirit for some of the things we pray. Thank God he's a, he edits those things. Listen. He knows how to edit when all of a sudden you're here, young lady, going, I love him so much, I want to marry him. And the Holy Spirit says, no, 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 not him. They're just saying they're lonely. That's not the one for them. They're just saying they haven't had a date. Don't let, don't, no, 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 don't give them that one. It's when a certain person cries out to God and says, I hate you, God. Holy Spirit comes in and says, no, no, no. What they mean is they don't understand you right now. They're just a little bit frustrated. Some lady's crying, I need a husband, my clock is ticking. And the Holy Spirit goes, no, no, no. They just mean they need to fall in love with Jesus. Jesus right now, they just mean they need to fall in love more with you. Some of you are crying out, I need money, God. And the Holy Spirit goes, no, no, no. What they mean is they need to be better stewards of what they have because they've been afraid to tithe. They've been afraid to tithe. I wouldn't care if they died, God. Holy Spirit says, nope. They, what they actually mean is help me to forgive them. They've hurt me, and now they need to learn how to love them. Some of you know this prayer. God, why is there so many cars in New York City? Holy Spirit comes in and says, they're just saying thank you for the patience that you're helping them through here, giving them the fruit of the Spirit. Someone's here today and saying, I'm done with this marriage. The Holy Spirit edits and says what they need is that they just need to love their wife as Christ loves the church. They don't mean they're done with this. They just need that. Folks, I'm telling you, when I pray, it is my words God is editing. But some may have said, I don't know how to pray, but I want to help you today. It doesn't even matter what you, how you say it. He'll edit it. There's one prayer that can change your life today, and it's the prayer that says, I need God in my life. Because the moment you say, I want God in my life, Father, Son, Holy Spirit goes to work. The love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit gets to go with you today. Folks, you don't have to be eloquent. You don't have to know the right phrases. You just have to want God. You know what's amazing? In just a moment, you're going to hear this phrase. You're going to hear me say this phrase. It's as simple as A, B, C on how to have a relationship with God. 
You know what's interesting? When I get to see, I'm already going to prep you. When I get to see, you know what see is? Confess Jesus as Lord. You ready for this? You can't even do see without the Holy Spirit. How can you say that? I didn't. Paul said it. 1 Corinthians 12, 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So even to pray this prayer, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. As some of you are fighting fights, facing battles, some of you are sitting here today and you're going, I have no one to protect me. I have no one that loves me enough to say, I'm, I'm covering them. I'm pledged to them. I'm engaged to them. I'm bringing them home to heaven. Some of you are here today and going like, I, I didn't know that I could have someone help me. Help me it's, it's even in my own prayer life that I can have all those things. Some of you didn't even know that. That's what happens when you go into a relationship with God today. The goal is not to get you to church. The goal is to get is God in you. That's what it's all about. Christianity is not coming to a place. It's coming to a person. And Jesus said that relationship that you can be, that you could know today you are going to heaven is called, is called being born again. In fact, Jesus said this. He says, no man can see the kingdom of heaven unless they're born again. And some of you are sitting there going, what's born again? It's not our words. It's a Jesus word. And Jesus simply said, but he's giving us a picture and says, just as you had a first birth physically, you need a second birth spiritually. Your first birth is your birth date. Your second birth is what happens when God comes in. It's the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Come on, say, say it with me. Say the grace of God. The, I'm sorry, the love of God, the grace of Jesus, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. My goodness. When, when you invite, when you invite God into your life, the Holy Spirit goes to work. 31 things. And that's just the ones I found. That's not even telling you. There, there's, there's so much the Holy Spirit does for us. Grace, love, fellowship. How does that happen, Pastor Tim? It's as simple as A, B, C. A, admitting that I'm a sinner, that I'm broken. I can't fix myself. There's not a promise, a program. There's not a prescription that can fix me. I'm broken on the inside. You're looking at you're looking at, at candidate number one that needed to be fixed. God fixed me. I could promise well, I'm not going to do this again, or I'm going to be the best person. I'm going to do all those things. I'm, I, have a, I have a sinful condition. It's already been diagnosed. You're a sinner. Okay, then what do I need to do? What, what do I need to do, God? I did, just give me a second chance. No, no, no. He goes, you don't need a second chance. You need a second birth. How does that happen? B, be, believe. Believe that God loved me so much. It's the love of God part. That he sent his son to die for me. That I, the death I was supposed to die. And to give me reward I don't deserve. And what see? Confessing him as Lord. Saying you're in charge of my life now. That word Lord, which is the help, by the help of the Holy Spirit says, God, you didn't die on the cross and resurrect to get me to church on Sunday. You did that. So you can get me to heaven. He wasn't interested in you sitting in church for an hour or two. He was interested so you would be with him forever. And that can happen today. 
Because if you're here today and say, I want him in my life, I want to be changed. You're watching from around the world. Those in Japan, those that are watching from Russia, those that are watching with us from Nigeria or Uganda, from Ghana, this, this is the moment. This is the moment. With every head up and everybody looking around, stand with me. Let's all stand together. Let's, I, I, I want to I do this. You're watching in the, in the annex in 205, 201 with a whole bunch of other people. You're watching on a screen. I want you to know God loves you so much. It's the most important question anyone can ever ask you that are watching on the screen in the next building. It's the most important question. Have you been born again? And today can be your second birth date. Your second birth date. I'll help you with the prayer. I'll help you with what we can pray and asking God. But it's, you can't say this unless you have the help of the Holy Spirit. The help of the Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, and I want to be part of that prayer. I want a relationship with God. Maybe you're one of the visitors that came in from all the different groups. I know from our team from Italy, or you came in from Belize, or you're here from Puerto Rico, or you're here wherever you're from. It doesn't matter. If you came from Russia or Ukraine, maybe, maybe you came over from Spain, but here it is. Or maybe you just came from the Bronx or the Upper East Side. God wants to change you today. And it could start by making this decision. I want to be born again. And if you're here today, everybody looking around, every head up, every person looking around, because this is the place to do it. This is the Holy Spirit that's working now. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I want, I want to start a journey with God today. I want to be born again. I want God to come into my life and change me. And I'm, I'm not going to stop at a $50 check like you did, Pastor Tim. I want everything that God has for me. I'm cashing it all in today. If you go, I want God in my life. Would you put me in that prayer? And we'll all pray it together, but you're going, I want to be part of that prayer. Without any hesitation, I'm, not, I'm going to ask you this. You're going, I want to be part of that. Balcony, main floor, annex, and around the world. If that's you, say, put me in that prayer. Holy Spirit is telling me, I want, I want, I'm all in with God. I want that. I want a relationship with him. Hold up your hand right now, as high as you can. Hold it up as high as you can, if that's you. Look at all these things. Keep them up. Keep them up. I want to see all those hands. All over here. Look at see, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All over here, all over there, all over there. Thank you, balcony, balcony. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. All back there, that whole corner over there. Thank you, annex around the world. Come on, let's thank God for what He has done. Let's thank God. Let's do this because it's going to be by the help of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray this together. Come on, church. Say, everybody, say, Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to go. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. Come on, now say this with me. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. Okay, now just pause for a second because I'm going to throw some new stuff in here. Say, the Holy Spirit is my comfort. The Holy Spirit is my pledge. The Holy Spirit is my seal. And the Holy Spirit is with me. And heaven is now my home. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. 
Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.